Two weeks ago, we preached on this thought that there is bread in Bethlehem. And we saw how that there is bread in Bethlehem for the sojourner. Naomi left the will of God, left the place of the house of bread, left the place of God's blessing, and with her husband Elimelech went down into Moab. That's sort of God's trash can. And uh, don't, don't tell nobody from Moab I said that, but went down into Moab... And uh, there they fell upon hard times. There they fell upon the chastisement of God. And, uh, you know, that's one of the good ways to know uh, whether someone is a Christian or not. Does God chasten them? God doesn't whip the devil's children. But you better understand that every son whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. You get out of the will of God, God will chasten you. And he does that because he loves you. But thank the Lord that there came good news to her in verse number 6. There's bread in Bethlehem for Naomi. If she'll just come back to the will of God, God would meet every one of her needs. Last week, we preached about a little Moabite girl by the name of Ruth. Ruth has no chance in this world of ever coming to know the God of Israel. But grace intervened in her situation. Let me tell you something. Grace can do things that no one else can do. I, where I was studying last night, I hope I'm okay. I, the, the, Miss Brenda was going to sing for us. She didn't feel led to do that. And so I get five extra minutes. Amen. So, <laughs> so I just want to say a word about some of these things. You know, Boaz told the reapers in chapter number two, he said, let Ruth glean among the sheaves and rebuke her not. Now the law was that she as a stranger could glean after the reapers. Let me tell you something, Boaz did something for her that the law could never do. Boaz gave her a place that the law could never give her. Boaz didn't just put her after the reapers. Boaz put her among the reapers. Let me tell you something, grace does something for us that the law never could. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That's the reason that folks that think they're going to get to heaven by their good works, they're wrong. Because it doesn't matter if it's by the works of God's law or by the works of the law of the land or by the works of your law and your moral framework that you've developed and designed to attune itself to your actions and not vice versa. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But thank the Lord that grace did something for me that law never could. Law couldn't put me as a son. It could make me a slave, but it couldn't make me a son. But thank the Lord that grace could make me a son. The law might could give me some boundaries, but hey, grace made me accepted in the beloved. The law could show me where I was wrong, but grace could get me right. The law could show me that I was unable, but grace showed me that I didn't have to be able because God's able and Christ is able and through Calvary, uh, salvation is offered free and full to those that would come to Him. I'm just saying grace will do something for you that law never can. And when we read in verse number, or in chapter number one, we find this little girl named Ruth that had no chance of ever knowing the God of Israel, but grace intervened in her life. I'm glad there's not only bread for the sojourner, I'm glad there's bread for the sinner this morning. If you're here lost without Christ, there's bread in Bethlehem for you. Uh, there's an answer in Calvary. Uh, there's sufficiency in Jesus Christ. I know the world is telling you uh, that it's a bunch of foolishness. I know the world is telling you that your righteousness is good enough. Uh, but what does God say about it? God says that your attempts at righteousness are but filthy rags. Your absolute best is putrefied, corrupt, and perverted in the eyes of a holy God. You say, I'm good. No, there's none that doeth good. 
That's what God said about it. I didn't say that. You said, preacher, that's hard nose. Well, that's what God said. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. They're all together wicked. They've all gone aside. They've all gone under their own way. But through Jesus Christ, you can be redeemed this morning. There's bread in Bethlehem for the sinner. But I think when we look at this girl by the name of Orpah, we learn that there is bread in Bethlehem for the spectator. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? I mean that Orpah was a sinner and she could have become a saint, but instead she stayed a spectator. And we have a story of tragedy this morning. And let's begin reading at verse number 6. And I want to read down to verse 15 and we'll pray. And I want to preach to you for a little while on bread for the spectator. The Bible says in verse number 6, Then she, speaking of Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again. My daughters, go your way. For I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she, speaking of Ruth, or speaking of Naomi, and she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law, speaking of Orpah, is gone back under her people and under her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Let's pray together. Father... Lord, we do thank You for this day. We thank You for the privilege that it is to gather here. Lord, we thank You for the providence that's brought us here. Lord, we know that nobody is here on accident. God, You have directed our footsteps and brought us to this place this morning. Lord, as we prayed and sought Your will about the preaching this morning, I believe this message is the will of God for us. Lord, I pray that You would apply it to our hearts and lives. You know each heart that is here. I don't, Lord. But you do. And you know if there's some here that are lost without Christ, Lord, I pray that you'd show them their greatest need, which is that of Calvary, and that they'd be saved before it's everlasting too late. Lord, those of us that are saved and that know you as our Father, I pray that you'd give us a burden for those that merely have a show but do not have the Son, those that merely have a profession but no possession. Lord, I pray that you would burden our hearts that we might reach them with the gospel before it's too late. Lord, we love you. We don't know why you love us, but we know by the word of God that you do, and we thank you for loving us. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we read in chapter number 1, there are three central figures that we've already mentioned that are found there. There is Naomi, who is the mother-in-law. And there is Ruth, who is one of the daughters-in-law. And then there is Orpah, who is another one of the daughters-in-law. If I was to ask you who a famous Moabite girl was in the Bible, and you knew anything about the Word of God, you no doubt would have said Ruth. But have you ever thought to yourself, why is it that you say Ruth instead of saying Orpah? 
You see, when we read about these two girls, we're reading about two girls that we have every reason to believe have the same cultural background, have the same lot of influence in their life. They've grown up. Both of them have been married to the sons of Elimelech. Uh, Whatever truth that they know about the God of Israel, they probably have about the same measure of truth. In fact, God is very careful to not give us much background about either of these girls beyond just the land that they came from and the decisions that they made. Now, I think that's on purpose, don't you? Here's why I believe that's on purpose. Because here we have juxtaposed beside each other two girls. One of them went one way and another went another way. Let me tell you something. The same wind that, uh, that wrecks some ships drives other ships. The same choices, we all have them. You may say, preacher, I grew up in a rough home. Well, I can show you lots of folks grew up in a rough home and came to know Christ as their Savior. You say, preacher, I, I grew up in a, in a home where the Word of God was taught, and I'm just burnt out on it. No, I can show you lots of people that grew up in homes where the Word of God was taught. They didn't burn out on it. God grabbed hold of their heart, and they surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, and to this day, they're still serving God. So let's just push all the excuses aside, and let's just own this very truth that each of us makes our own decisions in life, and that is what dictates how things turn out. These two girls had the same opportunity. They had the same background. They had the same wisdom uh, that was injected into their life. They had the same choices that they had to make. And yet we find it is not the book of Orpah that we open to this morning. Rather, it's the book of Ruth. Now, why did that happen? As we study these two girls, in fact, we find that even halfway, even three-quarters of the way through chapter number one, their paths seem to be exactly the same. But there came a moment of crisis. We talked a little bit about crisis last week. When we think of a crisis, we think of a tragedy or a calamity. But the word crisis actually means a decision point. And here in verse number 14, just as Ruth was at a deciding point in her life, so also was Orpah. Notice it again with me in verse number 14. The Bible says, And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. It could have just as easily said, And Ruth clave unto her. But God is wanting us to notice the contrast between these two girls. Each of them had a choice to make, and they made different choices. How did it turn out for them? Well, let's back up for a moment. I want to say a word about the display that Orpah had. Let me tell you something. I I am aware that when God saves a man, that is a, a stunning and shaking thing. I have seen people get saved. Let me tell you something. I have seen people claw the wood off the backs of pews. And I've seen people that in a gentle and calm manner merely got up and walked an aisle. I have seen people that were so physically shaken and moved that they literally were trembling. And I have seen people like Lydia in the book of Acts where the Bible says, whose heart the Lord opened, old Tom Malone, you say it this way, like a ripe apple just plucked from the tree, just waiting to fall. But we understand this, that the outward is not always a good indication of the inward. I've seen people make a big to-do about going to an altar only to get up the exact same person. And I've seen people just quietly slip a hand up that someone took a Bible and showed them and uh, they trusted in Christ and were eternally saved. Now, I'm not here to say that if, if it was a dramatic thing when you got saved, you did or didn't get saved. And I'm not here to say that if it was a calm thing when you got saved, you are or aren't saved. What I'm here to tell you is this, that the display does not necessarily determine the decision. You see, Orpah had a pretty good display. 
In fact, if we were to ask for someone, I, I mean, you, I, and I hope you understand what I mean. When you win people to Christ, when you lead people to the Lord, there are certain things you hope for and look for and certain little markers and indicators that you hope to see some sincerity in their heart and in their life. And, and let me just say this. If we were talking about conversion experiences, you notice the air quotes, then Orpah would have been a pretty good one. She had all the things you'd look for in someone that got born again. Look what it says here. I want you to notice that first off, there was a following that took place. Look at verse number 7. The Bible says, Wherefore she went forth, speaking of Naomi, out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. When Naomi said to these girls, Girls, I'm going back to Bethlehem. I'm done with Moab. My life is shattered and broken. There's nothing for me here. I'm going back. Not only Ruth, but Orpah too said, All right, Mama. We'll go with you. She was physically moved, her feet physically moved in result to the information that Naomi had given her. Can I say this? That just because someone can walk the walk for a little while, that doesn't mean that there's been a genuine and eternal change within them. The Bible talks about some that, and Paul warned young Timothy against this, some that would have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Now, you know what a form is, don't you? If you've ever poured concrete or done anything with any kind of liquid that hardens, then you know what a form is. It has all the outward perimeters and boundaries. If you were to look at it on a two-dimensional plane, listen, if you were to look at it on this level, it'd look exactly like everything else. Only by looking at it from this level could you see that there's something missing. Can I just say this? And I, Listen, if you're saved by the grace of God, I'm not here to try to preach you unsaved. Amen? That's, I'm not interested in that. I'm not here to try to shake you. But I believe there is a scriptural exhortation that a man ought to examine himself to see whether he be in the faith. And I am here to say this this morning, that just because you can put on a good show, that doesn't mean that you've accepted Christ as your Savior. Let me tell you one of the greatest tragedies in churches today, and I'm going to try to be brief. I don't want to, I mean, I want to chase this rabbit, but I'm going to try to not as best as I can. Let me, I'm not against standards. Somebody say amen to that. We believe in standards around here. I believe standards are right. I believe they're godly. But I believe that sometimes standards become a substitution for the spirit-filled and spirit-led life. We get a set of rules and we tell people to play by them. And the only reason they're doing it is because those are the rules. And if you want to be a part of church, you play by them. There's a great danger in that, my friend. Let me tell you why. Because they would develop a form. (laughs) They look right, man. They carry the right Bible. They wear the right clothes. They've got the right appearance. They talk the right talk. But they are dead on the inside. Christ warned against such things when He rebuked the Pharisees. And He said this, You are whited sepulchers. You're beautiful and garnished on the outside, but within are dead men's bones. Here's the question I have for you. Is there life on the inside? Is there, Oh, my. Is there life on the inside? It ought not take us long to figure that out. Some of you ba- ladies, you've been having babies. I know you have. And it didn't take long. I mean, I, I'll talk to April. She's right there, and she's got a baby, and so that proves it. But... I I mean, it might have took a while before you started to feel that baby kick, but it didn't take long, and you knew something was different. You knew something was different. You could tell life was on the inside. By the way, we still believe it's life around here, too. You knew there was life on the inside. Something was new. Something was different. Something was moving. 
I'm not trying to depend wholly on feeling. We're going to say a word about feeling here in a moment. But I am saying this, that when a person gets born again, it's not just a matter of keeping rules. It's a matter of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a following that took place. And you see that back in verse number 10 as well. They said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. She's determined. Let me tell you something. There ain't no telling how many determined people are on their way to hell this morning. There ain't no tell. I, I'm just going to preach to whoever God has this for, because I, I don't. I, I'm, I'm sure there are some in this room sitting there going, preacher, what are you talking about? That's all right, because th- those whom God is dealing with this morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Let me tell you something. There, there is no telling how many people that are determined to live right are on their way to a devil's hell. Determined. I'm going to get it right this time, preacher. I'm going to turn over a new leaf this time. I'm really going to get it this time. I'm going to do it right this time, preacher. Let me tell you something. You don't need a new leaf. You need a new life. That's what you need. You, you, you don't just need a new commitment. Hey, you need a Savior. You need to be born again by the Spirit of God. You see, it's not within you. It's not within me. It's not a matter of determination, friend. It's a matter of choosing Christ and nothing else. And once you do that, you'll find uh, as a new creature, I'm not saying you won't mess up. Every one of us messes up. Every one of us makes mistakes. But you'll find this, that, uh, that the Spirit of God has then taken up residence in your heart and life. And when you do wrong and when you sin, the Spirit of God will make you well aware of it. He'll convict you. He'll deal with you. If you continue to persist in your sin, God will chastise you. I'm saying there's a difference when a man gets born again. There's a difference. We see that she had a following. Notice verse number 9. She had a feeling. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they, not, not just Ruth, they lifted up their voice and wept. Not only was there a show through her efforts, but there was a show through her emotions. Now, I want, I want to be very clear this morning. I'm not against, you know, if you've been around here all of two minutes, you know we're not against emotion around here. God created us as emotional creatures. Amen? Let me tell you something. The will of God is not that our, um, that our emotions be annihilated. The will of God is that our emotions be domesticated. Somebody say amen to that right there. Not that we do away with our emotions, but rather that our emotions be surrendered under the leading of the Spirit of God, just like every other aspect of our life. That's what the will of God is. We're not against emotions around here. It's just like people talk about numbers. I know this ain't my message. People talk about numbers. I know some people, that's all they talk about is numbers. How many people we got in church? How many baptisms we had? How many this? How many that? And there's a great pitfall there. Then I know other people that, I mean, you know, church would split over somebody giving a report on how many folks got saved in VBS. You say, preacher, where do you fall out on that? What do you believe? I believe this. I believe when numbers glorify God, I believe it's all right to talk about them. And sometimes that number is a hundred and sometimes it's one. But I believe if it brings glory to God, I believe it's okay to mention that. But let me say this, we ought not be enamored with them because God's doing a spiritual work, not a numerical work. And in the same way, let me tell you something. I, I'm not against emotions. I'm not against... I, I, I was emotional myself when I got saved. Maybe not as much as other people, maybe more so than other people. But it ain't about emotions. It ain't about emotions. Let me tell you something. Emotions may get you to an altar, but they won't change you on Monday. It's not just about feeling something. I mean, listen, it don't take much. You, you watch one of them scary movies, it'll make you feel something. I, hey, I'm telling the truth now. I mean, it's, I understand it's funny, but I'm telling the truth. 
Hey, you, you turn on the country station, listen to them singing about their dogs and their trains and, and their 40 ex-wives, it'll make you feel something. That don't mean God's in it. That don't mean God's in it. I can get up and tell you a story. I can make you feel something. But a feeling can't change a man. Only faith in the Savior can change a man. It's not about the feeling. She had a feeling. She had a feeling. She lifted up her voice and she wept just like Ruth did. Insomuch that whoever God chose to pin down the book of Ruth, I believe it was Samuel, you don't have to believe that, but whoever God chose to pin down the book of Ruth, it didn't say that Ruth cried one way and Orpah cried another way. It says that they both lifted up their voices and wept. They say there was a feeling, but I want you to notice this, there was a friendliness. Look at verse number 14. The Bible says, and they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. She, it broke her heart to walk away, but she walked away just the same. She had a love, a fealty, a friendliness towards Naomi, but it was just that. It was towards Naomi. We come down to chapter number 2, and you know what we find out? In chapter number 2, Boaz says this to Ruth. It says that the Lord reward thee under whose wings thou art come to trust. Let me tell you something. When Ruth made her choice... She wasn't choosing Naomi. She was choosing Bethlehem. She wasn't choosing Naomi. She was choosing the God of Israel. That was the choice that she made. Let me tell you something. I love family. Family is important. I believe family is an important thing. But I would say this, that nobody, be they family or not, is worth dying and going to hell over. And by the same token, listen now, just because you might have come through those doors today because of family... Let me tell you something. You won't enter the gates of heaven because of family. God has no grandchildren. Only children. You either have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ or you don't. She had a friendliness. She did not storm away angry. She did not curse Naomi's name or the God of Israel. She did not walk away and say, I'm done. But she walked away just the same. She wanted to maintain a friendliness with Naomi. She wanted to leave on good terms. And let me tell you something. Uh, the, the problem in this country, in America, and, we'll, and you see it every year, every year at Easter and at Christmas, people want a friendly acquaintanceship with the God of heaven. No, my friend, you are either saved by His grace or you are at enmity with God. One of the two. There's no in-between. You are either saved by God's grace, you have either surrendered, had your will broken, bowed the knee, admitted you're incapable, confessed yourself a sinner. You have either bowed before Him or you've not. And he that gathereth, listen, he that gathereth with me is with me, the Lord taught. But He said that, that he that gathereth not with me is against me. You're either with Him or you're against Him. One of the two. You make no mistake about it this morning. It doesn't matter if you want a polite church house religion. That won't get you to heaven and that don't change your standing with God. A friendliness is not good enough. There has to be a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see her display, but I want you to notice her decision. She had a real good display. It looked good. I mean, if, we, if you had a Bible and you had it in front of her nose and you were talking to Orpah, it would look like things was going good. You know, you would have thought, boy, she's really understanding. She's really getting it. But notice what happens. Verse number 15. And she, speaking of Naomi, said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back under her people and under her gods. Return thou 
after thy sister-in-law. I'm trying to be very careful with what I'm about to say. But I believe there is a, a scriptural truth that is very underpreached today, and that is the danger of apostasy. I am not meaning to imply that believers, when they get discouraged or give up, that God unsaves them, because we know that's not true. We know that once you're saved, you're eternally saved. But I do believe there are some that are friendly with the gospel, that are interested in the idea of God saving them, that maybe come up to the brink of decision, maybe even make a profession, maybe claim the name of Christ, maybe even say, I am a Christian. And there's been no change in their hearts and lives. And so eventually what happens? They turn and they go back to their people and they go back to their gods. I'm going to preach a little on it tonight if you come back, if the Lord will let me to. You know what Paul said? If we deny Him, He'll deny us also. You say, oh, no, now, preacher, that's not what he's talking about. Well, he's quoting the words of Christ in the gospel where Christ said this in Matthew chapter number 10, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father also in heaven. Listen, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm merely trying to say this, that there is no neutral ground in this matter of salvation. You have either been saved or you have not been saved. One of the two. Every person that sits here in front of my eyes, under the sound of my voice, you have either been saved or you have not been saved. One of the two. Every single person. I could travel all over the world. I could preach to all seven and a half billion people that walk across this planet and that truth would ring the same way that every single person in this world, it doesn't matter if you're black or white or poor or rich and fat and skinny or Democrat or Republican, at the end of the day, God sees you one of two ways. You're either saved or you're lost. One of two ways. So the question is, what are you this morning? We notice her decision. I want you to notice it was an apparent decision. She said, Behold. She said, Ruth, watch Orpah walking away. Let me tell you something. You can only fake it for so long. You can only fake it for so long. The pull of this world is too strong. The perversion of the flesh is too strong. Uh, Listen, the the working of the enemy, the prince of the power of the air, is too strong. Paul said this in Ephesians 2, that in times past we walked according to the course of this world. It don't matter if you're religious on that course. It don't matter if you're reprobate on that course. If you're not saved, you're on a course. You're walking a path. And come now or come later, there will come a time when you'll go back to your people and back to your God's. You say, preacher, you're saying that to scare me. No, I'm saying it to warn you that if you're here playing church this morning, don't play any longer. If you're here playing religion, don't play any longer because you think you can keep it up. You think you can wear the mask. You think you can fake it. You think you can do this thing. But, oh, listen to me, my friend. There'll come a time when you'll go back to your people and back to your gods. It was an apparent decision. It was an affected decision. What's the first thing she went back to? The first thing she went back to wasn't her gods. The first thing she went back to was her people. Let me tell you, there ain't no telling how many people that God deals with their heart and they know that they're lost and they know they need to be saved, but the thing that floods their mind is, what would my spouse think? 
What would my children think? What would my parents think? What would my siblings think? What would my co-workers think? What would my church think? I've said it and I'll say it again. There, listen, there ain't nobody in this room. I love my child. I love my wife. I love each and every one of you. But there's no one in this room worth dying and going to hell over. There's no one in your life worth dying and going to hell over. No one. Don't let those people in your life pull you away from making the decision to accept Christ. They have a strong pull. We were talking to someone the other day that was talking about family and church. And, and I said, well, you know, I mean, at our church, man, we got bunches of family and church. It confuses people sometimes. We start telling them how folks is related. and it don't, it don't do good for the stereotypes about East Tennessee. I'll just say that. I promise you our family tree does fork. <laughs> It's all legal, all sanctioned, not only in the eyes of the state of Tennessee, but in the eyes of God Almighty, okay? But family is an important thing. We are drawn to family, and that's not a bad thing. But anything that draws us away from choosing Christ is a bad thing. It was an affected decision, but I want you to notice it was an apostate decision. She may have gone back to her people. Listen, she may have gone back for her people, but she went back to her gods. Listen, nobody plans on dying and going to hell. Nobody. You say, oh, preacher, but I know an atheist, and he says, and blah, blah. Yeah, he says he's an atheist. If he could see, if he could pull back the, the barriers of hell and look within the charred walls of the damned, he wouldn't want to be there. Nobody wants to die and go to hell. Nobody plans on it. You can't be in your right mind and know what hell is and desire to be there. Orpah wasn't planning on that. She wasn't planning on She was going back for her people. But to turn away from Christ was to turn away from her only hope. You see, let me tell you something. You turn away from Christ, you're turning away to turn to other gods. One of the great dangers in missions in many pagan lands is that the people of those pagan lands adopt Jesus into their pantheon. And they worship many gods, including Jesus. You, you know, that that's, that's sort of what they tried to do at Mars Hill, the Athenians. There, there the Athenians would, would, would gather uh, in, in the place of, of public learning and public judgment, and, and they would talk and discuss and debate things. The Epicureans and the Stoics would, would hear all these new questions in Acts 17. And Paul gets to, to Athens. He's supposed to be waiting, but he can't wait. He's just got to work. And so his, his spirit is stirred within him when he sees the whole city given to idolatry. And he begins to walk up and down the shrines and the altars that they have to their gods. And he comes across an altar that strikes his attention. It says this, to the unknown God. And at that place, Paul just stops and preaches a sermon and says, this God right here, the one you don't know, that's the one you've got to know. Let me tell you something this morning. You're worshiping anything other than Him. You're not worshiping Him. You're trusting anything other than Him. You're not trusting Him. Uh, there, there's so many people that this is the kind of religion that they think they have. It's 60% Jesus. It's 20% their good works. It's 10% their church membership. It's 10% their heritage. It don't work that way. If you're trusting in anything other than Christ, you're not trusting in Christ. It's not, it's not Calvary plus. It's Calvary or it's nothing. We see in this passage 
that her decision was apostate. And then I want you to notice this. And I'm just going to say a word about it and close. I want you to notice her disappearance. Look at verse 16 and 17. Well, let's, let's go back. Let's read verse 15 and 16 and 17. And she said, Naomi said to Ruth, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back under her people and under her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Verse number 16 says this, And Ruth. Now, I could go on, read a little further. You're welcome to. But let me just say this. The verse 15 is the last mention of Orpah in the Word of God. When she walked away from Naomi, Ruth, and Bethlehem, when she walked away from the God of Israel, she walked off the pages of Scripture and into obscurity. What does that tell us? I think it implies a few things to us about her future. I think it tells us a word about her fruitlessness. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, the fact that God doesn't mention anything else about her, I think God's trying to tell us this. She never did anything else with her life. Let me tell you something. You turn away from Christ, you've turned away from the only opportunity to ever see your life changed. I, I, listen, I, I, I believe Jesus can change you in a way that AA can't. I believe Jesus can change you in a way that, you, you, uh, that what is it, reformers unanimous can't. Is that it? Unanimous? I think I made that word up. I don't know. It don't sound right to me. Unanimous, 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 unanimous. It's his She walked away, and there was nothing good to ever say about her again. Nothing good came of her life. I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm not trying to be ugly. But I am trying to be exclusive when I say this. I'm not trying to be unkind or intolerant. But I am trying to give you an absolute truth this morning. It's not one path of many paths. It's the one and only path. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Not through a priest, not through a moon god, not through good works, not through church membership the one and singular and only way to heaven, the only hope you have for any kind of a life is Jesus Christ. I don't care if you sit here with so much church religion and Sunday morning uh, display and Sunday morning politics that you're uh, stinking of it. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you've got a fat bank account. I don't care if you think you've got all your problems solved. The only hope you have of any kind of a life worth mentioning is through Jesus Christ. I believe her fruitlessness is denoted. I believe her future is denoted. I believe her fate is denoted. There's nothing else to say about her because we know what is left to be said about her. Now, I do not know what happened with the rest of Orpah's life, but it, if we are to conclude her story the way that Scripture does, and I believe that God intends for us to, then we would believe that this morning Orpah is in hell. There's nothing else to be said. She turned away from Christ, and that's the only place and destiny and fate of a person that turns away from Christ. Now, you have a choice this morning. If you're here and you're not saved, you have a decision. You stand at the same crisis point that Orpah stood at. What will you do? What will your decision be? Will you do like Ruth? Will you cleave? Will you make up your mind that you're not going to die and go to hell for anybody? 
Will you make up your mind that Moab has nothing for you and that Bethlehem will be your home? Will you make up your mind that it'll no longer be your people, it'll be God's people? It'll no longer be Moab's gods, it'll be the God of Israel. Will you make that choice this morning? I can't make it for you. You make that choice this morning. And if you're here without Christ, listen carefully, you will make a choice. You will. Not because I could or couldn't or whatever. uh, Not because I'm making you. Not because anybody's making you. But because that is the sheer dynamic and truth of the matter. You've been faced with truth. What will you do with it? And if you're here today and you say, Preacher, I do know that I'm saved. But I have loved ones that I care about. And I see that they are at that crisis point. Maybe the grace of God has afforded them several opportunities Maybe the grace of God will afford them many more. But understand that none of us are promised tomorrow. Listen, you might wake up to pray for them tomorrow, and there's no use praying anymore. I know, we don't like that. I don't like it either. But that's the truth of the matter. You might wake up tomorrow to pray for that person, and there be no use in praying anymore. They have left time, entered into eternity, and their fate is sealed. So you say, preacher, what can I do? You can do just what they can do. You cannot wait till tomorrow. You can take the today God's blessed you with. And you can say, preacher, I want to pray for him today. I don't want to wait till tomorrow. I want to call their name to the throne room of grace and ask God once again to deal with their heart and with their life.